You can be the biggest star in the world. You can win Oscars. You can go quadruple platinum. But if you're not using your stardom, your celebrity, your platform to motivate and form six degrees of separation with other celebrities and people who can make a difference and influence, whether it be through um, sponsors or people who, you know, lobby or, or government agencies or whatever, whatever you're trying to accomplish, if, if you don't use that, that, that which you've built or what you've been given to help others, then why do you have it? Hey, 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 it's Andy Petronic, and welcome back to episode number 147 of the Andy Petronic Podcast. This is where it's my job to talk health, life, and well-being with the foremost leaders in the field, giving you the joy, knowledge, and inspiration you need to live your best life. Coming up in a minute, I'm having a conversation with former NFL football player, Super Bowl champion, and all around like awesome man, father, husband, uh, do-gooder for the world, philanthropist. His name is Kevin Carter. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second. You know, I was, um, we are in the second week of the Whole Life Challenge. Yeah, currently the Summer Whole Life Challenge. And I... I've been thinking a lot about purpose and success and what defines success. Like what would make the challenge, what would make the next week of my life successful? How would I look back over that week and go, okay, this week was a success. Have you ever thought about things that way? I, I had not thought about things that way. I, I've thought about my life that way. But I've never thought about it in the short term. What would make this week super successful? What would make me go back and go, you know what? God, that was what a great week. What a great month. This happened. Or I behaved this way. Or I did these things. Like, as I'm in the whole life challenge, it could be related to I mobilized every day. I stretched every day. This that this week was a overwhelming success now it may be connected one element with body one element with say relationship um i stretched every day and i um acknowledged my my somebody in my family for something great they did every day and maybe it's that i don't know but it, it got me thinking like should i be more intentional about choosing the things that I'm going to feel good about having done each week. And then, and then looking back and going, you know what? I did it. Cool. It's kind of like having goals. I, I look at it a little differently than goals. I don't know. Goals seem goals trigger an unwanted thing for me. I don't really like goals, but uh, this seems different than that. So I don't know. I just throw it out there for you guys to think about. Um, I've been doing more workout with videos, workout body weight, workout videos. You can find them all listed and, um, contained at andypetronic.com forward slash workouts and uh, their body weight. They're meant to be done in the confines of your living room or your kitchen, <laughs> kitchen, kitchen would be kind of funny. Um, maybe your bed, maybe your um, hotel room. That's more realistic. They don't require any equipment. 
They're fast and they're effective. Promise. Uh, so you can check them out there. And if you go to my website, you can also subscribe to my newsletter. So I put out a monthly newsletter on the first of each month that just talks about things I've discovered, explored, found, watching, reading, related to health, nutrition, fitness, um, inspiration, knowledge, fun stuff. So um, very pithy, short, bulleted. If you're interested, you can check it out when you go to my website, andypetronic.com. A few upcoming guests that I'll tell you about. Dr. Mark Goulston, he's a psychiatrist. He's on a mission to help others to help themselves by changing the way they listen. I shouldn't say they. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm one of his uh, prime candidates. And he makes it clear on the podcast that I'm one of his prime candidates. Um, he's coming up. Uh, a guy named Josh Mance is coming up. He's a army veteran who died on the battlefield. And then he came back to life. Um, and if that doesn't interest you, should I say you're not human? Uh, it's certainly that just that just that part is incredibly compelling to me. I want to hear from someone who has done that. Um, and let's see who else is coming up. Uh, Kevin Rose. Actually, I was I had the pleasure of speaking with him the other day, so he'll, he he will be coming up. And uh, a few more people I'm scheduling in the near future um, that I don't want to announce yet, but I'll let you know soon. Um, my guest today. Getting back to that is Kevin Carter. And, you know, he's not a household name. You might have known him. You might have known him uh, back when he played in the NFL. But then again, if you weren't an NFL fan, I, I didn't know him. I never, never knew him. But I heard about him through his philanthropy work in Tennessee. And I watched a video th- about him where he basically the video comes down to this one moment where the lights turn off in the stadium and um, he says, or they, then they turn on and they say, he says how the measure of a man is not what happens on the field, but what happened once happens once the lights turn off. And that really kind of defines Kevin. He is about as honorable a human being as I have ever spoken with. He has this intense desire to help others and to make sure that he's using his celebrityness to further the joy in the world, to further the kindness in the world, to serve others. And now his main job in his household is taking care of his son who's uh who's a senior in high school junior or senior in high school and about to go play uh football probably and his w- wife not really taking care of him but taking care of the house and then supporting them he's he's going through a bit of a it's tough it's tough and he wouldn't do it any other way and i think that's really one of the big takeaways i got from kevin how willing he is to do that work, chop wood, carry water, the mundane stuff that makes up our daily life. And, and he talks about it with such a inspiring tone, um, that it's, you can't help, but really be inspired by him. So I'm not going to talk about, about him anymore. I'm just going to introduce him to you. And, um, here he is. Enjoy Kevin Carter. 
Kevin Carter, welcome to the whole the Andy Petronic podcast. I won't say whole life challenge, but it, it is it's one and the same. Um, you, you probably don't know much about that, but I know a lot about you. I know a little bit about you. I was just telling you before we got on. <laughs> you know, I, I know a little bit about your um, the whole life challenge. Um, you know, it, it seems that that I would be an instant um, like winner on your on on the whole life challenge. <laughs> it seems that, um, uh oh. Some of those lifestyle like adjustments and changes um, have been a necessity for me right. after what I've done to myself over 14 years in the NFL. Absolutely. I've made a conscious decision that I want to live and live well and live for a long time and be healthy. So there are a lot of things that I do out of fear um, right. <laughs> you know, right. for my own personal safety and future, um, just to ensure that I'll be here, that they kind of fall in line with what you're, what you're wanting to do to achieve. Well, that, that, um, you know, that actually brings me to, um, right, right, very neatly right into the beginning of this that I wanted to introduce everybody to is your, your philanthropy work. And Mm -hmm. the thing that drew me immediately to you, like, I, I I really, really, really want to talk to you is the beginning of your video. When you say it's not about what happens on the field, it's what happens when the lights go out and you leave the field, what do you do then? That's the, that's the measure of your <clears throat> hero work. Yeah. What, can you tell me more about that? Like, where did that come from? How, what? I think um, that's, a, that's a really deep question. You've done this before. <laughs> I have done this before. <laughs> um, I, I, sorry if I, I need, do I need to, do we need to warm up on some other? No, questions? that's okay. You know what? <laughs> I've, I've been told that personally that I'm, somewhat incapable of small talk so ah, okay. i tend to dive into deep conversation with total complete strangers so okay well, um cool. so here goes um the term hero work um to me is is very organic and it starts it started from a time when i was a child um my mom and dad you know a little bit about them my dad worked for ups for 32 years um, my mom was an accountant that worked for the, st- for the state, the Department of Revenue, <clears throat> you know, totally self-made. They, you know, moved, they got married at 22 years old, had $400 in their pocket, and they left a small town in South Georgia and moved to Miami. And they started their life and they wanted something better for their two sons. And when I was a kid, I was a dreamer. I was expressive. I was... Um, really oversensitive and um, somewhat dramatic as an adult. Um, but when I was a kid, um, I had really bad eyes and I had issues. I had problems. I had, my mom had sickle cell anemia, which eventually took her life um, when she was 56, when I was 29 years old. And, um, but growing up, you know, sh- she was always somewhat sickly. I'm going somewhere with this. Um, and so when she was carrying me she really experienced a lot of what they call sickle cell crises and um and so when i was born i was born and i couldn't see my eyes were underdeveloped and um it took a little while and they didn't know if i would have my sight my eyesight and so um when i was a little older when i was about four or five months old is when they found out that i could indeed you know after testing that i could see and everything i was responsive and i just turned out to be really nearsighted which later was fixed with LASIK. But when I was a kid, I had these really thick glasses and I was pleasantly plump and I had a bit of a speech impediment. <laughs> so I had a lot of things that weren't necessarily uh, making me popular on the schoolyard. But 
Um, but I was a dreamer. I was this person that, you know, I was, I would be emotional over things. I would react strongly. And my mom, God bless her soul. She was wonderful. She was always telling me that, that God had something special for me than she had and that God had a purpose for my life that I was supposed to be someone who would make a difference. And I said, why do you say that? And she says, she says that God has to prepare you to be the kind of person to be, you know, to do the great things in life. And you can't just achieve greatness and do these wonderful things and give up yourself in, in, a, in an unselfish way that doesn't seek um, accolades or glory for yourself, but looks to help others. And to me, that's what a hero really was. And so when I was a kid, my room was decorated with Star Wars and Superman. And I was a huge Superman fan. I loved the fact that he was this nerd reporter from a small town and he'd take off his glasses and, you know, you know, go in a phone booth and he, he saved the world. And he was so humble. He was benevolent. He was truth, justice, the American way. He was everything that was good. And he was virtuous. And he, you know, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't use his godlike power for, for evil. He, he was, you know, such the perfect person to have that level of strength, so to speak, you know, Everyone can't be bestowed with that because some people would abuse it. Um, so getting back to hero work, um, for me, I always said when I was a kid, if I ever built a platform, if I ever achieved something great, if I ever did something as to where I was one of those people that kids and people in society looked up to, that I would do things the right way. I would be that leading man. I would stand up for, for, for the person that couldn't fight for themselves. I would stand up for the underdog. I would look to help those less fortunate than me. I would look to enrich my community, look to use my platform. And, you know, God has a sense of humor, I think. You know, I'm not really religious as much as I am spiritual because um, I think religion, you know, people fight wars and kill each other and, you know, curse each other over religion. But I don't think God really represents any of that. Um, so, for me, um, doing God's work, being that person, I think his sense of humor came into play because I was always saying what I would do. And, you know, as a freshman in high school, I was five, nine, I was still pleasantly plump. I still was not a good athlete. My feet had gotten really big. My arms had gotten really long and my head had gotten really big and my butt had gotten big, but I hadn't gotten any taller. And I'm, I'm walking around high school, about five, five, eight, about 195, 200 pounds. And, I'm in marching band, okay? I go out for my JV. But I just got to stop you for a second. That was my whole life growing up. I was a musician. <laughs> I, I was a band geek. I was a trumpet player. And That's awesome. Uh, it was, it, well, when you're in high school, right. I was, was looking for how do I get out of this? You know, mm -hmm. like I'm not in the cool kids club, and yet this is what I'm good at. So right. I was kind of stuck. Uh, and, you know, like I, that was a big source of um, – spiritual kind of work that I had to do on kind right. of my, you know, kind of letting go and forgiving myself for, for judging all the, 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 the gifts that I was given, you mm -hmm. know? Um, but yeah, so go ahead. I'm sorry. I just had to, no. you and I are band geek, fellow band geeks. Yeah. Fellow band geek. Um, look, I went off for my foot for my JV football and basketball team my freshman year and I didn't make either one of them. Um, I went to a big public high school in Tallahassee, Florida, and, you know, they had cuts and I didn't make it. And I had an older brother. My older brother is two years older than I, and that I, he was, he was a complete stud. 
He was 6'4 by the time he hit his freshman year. Wow. He was, you know, just all world. He was smart. He was good looking. And I was his nerd brother. And I, I was his band geek brother who was, a sh- you know, just a mere shadow of what he was physically. Yeah. Um, God's sense of humor came into play my sophomore year because over that summer between my sophomore and junior year, I grew about eight inches. And wow. I, I grew into just a, just a man's body. By the time I was 16 years old, I mean, I was, you know, six, four and, and basically everything I did on the football field made sense. Everything I tried to do athletically, I got better. They said, do this, you'll get faster. I got faster. Do this, you'll get stronger. I got stronger. Um, here, do this, line up here and run and hit. And I, it just worked. And, um, so I, I, I garnered a lot of success really quickly. And I had one of those, um, there's an old 80s movie, um, Can't Buy Me Love. One of my favorite movies of all time is where the, the guy is mowing lawns and he's a pizza delivery guy. And, of course, the popular girl in school decides to, you know, remake him. And, you know, he becomes the stud and his life changes overnight. That's kind of what I went through. I, I went from being this band geek who, you know, girls didn't look at, didn't get, I wasn't in the cool kids club, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then um, I became this football phenom and... Next thing you know, I was homecoming king and, you know, everything, all world, all American could go wherever I wanted. So having that platform, having my life change that dramatically really charged me with a responsibility. I could go on and be what I saw, which was pompous, cocky and enjoy all the fruits of superficial, shallow, you know, labor affords those people in this world that don't necessarily deserve the wonderful lives they lead. Um, in my opinion, but, um, or I could have been the type of person that you would say, wow, I was pleasantly surprised when I met Kevin Carter, man, what a good guy. Wow. What, what wonderful things he's doing. Wow. What, that's an interesting life choice. I, I wonder why he chose to do this instead of pursuing something bigger or whatever. And that's who I wanted to be. And, and like I said, I, I had, I had the opportunity to either go one way or the other. And I, and I, and I chose to honor the things in me that made me who I am. So wow. hero work for me is you can be the biggest star in the world. You can win Oscars. You can go quadruple platinum. But if you're not using your stardom, your celebrity, your platform to motivate and form six degrees of separation with other celebrities and people who can make a difference and influence, whether it be through um, sponsors or people who, you know, lobby or government agencies or whatever, whatever you're trying to accomplish. If, if you don't use that, that, that which you've built or what you've been given to help others, then why do you have it? You, you're, we're not put on this planet by God to just, and given this talent to just, you know, you know, I can travel whenever I want to. And I go overseas twice and we go to Beaver Creek every year. We have a house in Destin and, you know, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Those things are great, and it's not a crime that you have them, and that's your life. But there's so much suffering. There's so much pain. There's so much, so many things that just are not fair about this world. And for me, you know, when you're watching that video about hero work, I'm, I'm really discussing what I do with Make-A-Wish, um, Make-A-Wish Foundation. It's just, you know, kids don't deserve cancer. Kids don't deserve any of that. Kids are innocent. I don't care they can have the worst parents in the world, but, you know, we hate the parents and love the kids. I mean, children are, are, are you know, God's gifts to this planet yeah. that can, you know, forge and shape our future. You know, there are only hope. I look at my son and I'm like, dude, y- y'all got to clean up a mess. 
So if we're going to do that, then we have to empower them. We have to help them. And, you know, kids with life-threatening illnesses, one of those things that just touches my heart. So I'll let you go on to your next question. <laughs> Jeez, I, I, well, good grief. I mean, how do I, where do I go from that? <laughs> I, in the middle of that, I was going to say, you know, hey, p- just preach, just go. Because this is, uh, I mean, it's your, the way you handled yourself is not, is is quite uncommon, I think, these days. And it's it's a shame that it's quite uncommon um, because we see, well, either it's quite uncommon or we don't see as many or, or they're, they're not as publicly visible because it's not as dramatic. It's not doesn't you don't you don't invite the drama that, you know, uh, a lot of celebrities invite a lot of celebrity athletes invite. And right. it's not as I guess it's not as compelling. I mean, I think it's really compelling, but for some reason, you know, it's not, it doesn't hit the, um, you know, flash news brief because nothing crazy right. happened. doesn't so move the needle. It doesn't move the needle as much. It's still, it's moving the needle in a much right. more like foundational ways, kind of like a, like a tsunami. Remember the tsunami that hit in the, in the uh, Indonesia, I don't know when mm-hmm. that 10 years ago, and I, I remember watching the video of that, and I always thought of tsunami was this you know thousand foot wave that came in, and but it looked very very little, but man, right. when that thing hit, I mean, <laughs> it just inundated, and that's that's more like what I see your work as is it you don't really see it coming, and it's not dramatic, and it's not you know oh my god, but right. the impact and the drive of that is just it's a tsunami, it's um. Yeah, the lives, the lives that we can touch and the impact that we can have. I, I know that, you know, through this one particular event that I do through my foundation, it's, um, it's called Waiting for Wishes. And um, we've given $2.5 million to make a wish over 17 years through this one event, one night a year. Hmm. And, um, and something like that, you know, is... There's so much work behind the scenes. Yeah. We have 50 celebrities that come in and we fly them in. We put them up. We have sponsors. Yeah. We have our, you know, we have alcohol and the wine, the, the restaurant, the travel. I mean, there's so many moving parts to this event. And like you said, it's not the work that we put in is not sexy. It's yeah. not dramatic. The calls, the, the net that we cast for celebrities to come to this event I mean, we send out a hundred asks, hoping to get forty, because people's right. schedules change. And right. you know, when I invite the celebrities, I say, you, "You come once, I'll never have to beg you to come again," because that's how powerful this event is. I'm, I'm that confident in, in, the, in the power and the just how wonderful this event is. And and you're going to come to that event too, and you're and you're going to be there every year after that. After you come once, I promise you. Um, <laughs> It's that it's, it's that awesome of wow. an event. We'll wow. get to that later. I'll talk to you off camera about that. Okay. Um, okay. But and it, it's it's not sexy. But then all of a okay. sudden, on the night of, when you realize how much you know, we're going to stroke you know a hundred and twenty five thousand dollar check, you know, anywhere from there to two hundred thousand to to make a wish from that effort, and people look around and they they look in one room and they see you know Vince Neal or they see Darius Rucker or. Rick Springfield, or this year we had Jesse Waters and uh, Dana Perino from Fox News. Wow. We have, you know, um, football players. We have Hall of Famers, and we have, 
UFC fighters and Tito Ortiz is in the room and, you know, Chuck Liddell and Ken Shamrock and all these people. And we have this eclectic mix of, of celebrities that come together. And, you know, that's sort of the, the tidal wave because, you know, the devastation, if you watch that video, you know, it, it came rolling in and it, and it wasn't really dramatic. You didn't see this movie like tidal wave, but, you know, there was a video that I saw of that event and it was someone that was on top of a hotel about that was about seven or eight stories high and the water level came in and it just kept, kept getting higher and higher. And the person literally looked over the building and the water was right there. Right. You know, that that's that's the realness of how much water came into that area. It, yeah. was, yeah. it was that scary. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, my, my dad always said, you know, speak softly, but carry a big stick. You know, your actions speak louder than words. I live by those things. The flash that people try to create, the traction, the you know, the the, the sheer fact that there's no such thing as, as bad publicity. You know, I think people are looking for shock value and yeah. you know it sickens me and I look in our society and I know we're live on YouTube, but I'm gonna say this. It sickens me that, you know, one of our leading ladies, you know, that our young women look up to is someone who's famous for making a sex tape and being on a reality show. And now she's the spokesperson for Maybelline and all these great products. That's, that's who you, that's who you want your life to emulate. That's a, that's a shame. Our, our young women don't know, you know, that this young lady, this brave young woman, um, Mulala, you know, won the Nobel peace prize. They don't know about her life. They haven't watched her Ted talk. They haven't watched her be interviewed by David Letterman, which is a great show on Netflix. Um, I haven't you know, seen had, that show. I, I got to watch that show. I, I, I forgot David, to hear. Yeah. I, had, David Letterman's had Malala. He had President Obama. Wow. He had like, I mean, he just very eclectic mix of people. Just yeah. And he deep with them. Um, but, you know, we don't celebrate that. Yeah. We don't celebrate that kind of courage. We don't celebrate, you know, people who, who, who do just extraordinary things. We're looking for shock value. We're looking for the honey boo-boos. You know, we're looking for... The, the things that, you know, move the needle and their and their and the shock values off the charts while there's real life, there's real suffering and there are real problems that need to be fixed. Yeah. And people stand diametrically opposed to one another that live right next door to each other. They go to church in the same place. Their kids play in the same playground. But you bring up, you know, taxes, religion and abortion or same sex marriage and you have an enemy for life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like you don't even have to look across the street. Sometimes that happens right in your who, house. Yeah. Who, I mean, I, who, you know. Who are we? What is right. I mean is the goal of argument for us to come together and have a critical discussion that accomplishes something or is it for me to listen to what you say? Spin at ten degrees and attack you another way. Well, it's funny, my no, son. So my son is eleven. Yeah, my my son is eleven, and uh, he his one of his best friends is evidently. They're both athletes. They're both they both play baseball. They both play soccer. They both uh, they're very very athletic kids. But mm-hmm. evidently, his best friend is really good at debate. He's gone to, mm-hmm. and he and he was going to sign up for this debate camp, and uh, he wanted Dashiell to go with him. And Dash was like, I don't want to go to the big camp. I'm not, I, Alex is really good at that. I'm not so good at that. Um, and and I, ordinarily, I would say, well, if you're not so good at it, maybe it's a good camp for you to attend. But I'm not. Debate is one of those things. Like it fits in this category of you're talking about. Like we're teaching kids that it's a good idea to get in a room 
and learn how to tear apart what someone else is saying, spin it however you need to spin it to try to convince people that your opinion is the right way and yeah. then fight about it. Like that is that's something we celebrate. And I don't get how does that advance the, the conversation? How does that bring us together? It's it it continues to teach people that that is the way to communicate, and that's there's no communication going on at all. It's two bulls, you know, just going head to head, battling. Yeah. I did something interesting at the beginning of this whole life challenge. I got my blood tested through Health Test Express. I wanted to see if six weeks of eating the way I know serves me and improves my life. I wanted to see whether or not. It actually did something on the inside. And Health Test Express is the easiest way I know to do to do that. They send you a little test kit. You prick your finger, a little tiny drop of blood on your on your finger. You have to squeeze it a little bit to get blood to come out repeatedly because you need about five good-sized drops onto a piece of cardboard. Um, there is no going to a lab, no, no scheduling a time to go to a lab, no going to a lab, no waiting in line, no getting a vein punctured by a lab tech and then wearing a bandaid on the, in the middle of your arm. It, it is, you do it right in your house. You put these little droplets of blood on the cardboard and bing, bang, boom, you are done. You mail it in and about a week and a half later, you get your results. I got my results. They were it was funny. I was joking with someone. They are every color of a stoplight. Some are red, some are yellow, some are green. Uh, and I don't know how they're going to change over the course of the challenge, but we will see if they do. And um, listen, if you want to give it a try, which I, look, I don't care if you're in the whole life challenge or not. I don't care if we're, we're pregame, postgame, midgame. If you're not doing this, you're you are not you do not know really what's going on inside your body and that's the that's the mother load knowing what's going on inside i mean sure you can look good on the outside but what what's going on on the inside so um if you use the link the code i'm sorry the coupon code whole life w-h-o-l-e-l-i-f-e in all caps you'll get a 20 percent discount in your on your first kit Go to www.healthtestexpress.com forward slash WLC. That's www.healthtestexpress.com forward slash WLC. That's it. Let's get back to the show. I heard a, I heard a discussion last night and, you know, I, I really try to stay off of um, any news. Um, you know, I, I think if I'm going to watch a news channel and just get the facts, I'll watch like, BBC like you know yeah. just get like just the, just the bare bones facts because I don't yeah. want any spin because yeah. any network you put on has has a spin whether it's you know for our president or against our president or and nothing is just objective right right um, but I was watching the discussion last night as I was turning across the channels and it was someone who's a famous television host and I'm not going to name their name and they were arguing with um, an activist and the activist was talking about you know, climate change and the things we need to do, you know, like recycling and things we can do to preserve our rainforest. We, you know, we're, hey, you know, this is an issue and we're not trying to put it in your face, but, you know, science says, you know, I mean, I'm a Superman fan and, you know, Jarrell tried to tell the council that the planet was in danger and was going to blow up, but yep. no one listened to him. So yep. he was able to get his son out on a, on a craft and send him to Earth. But, you know, so 
the science is there and she's having a this young woman is, you know, and I felt so bad for her because this 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 television host is tearing her apart. You know, she's she's talking about um, you know, the whole ozone layer, chlorofluorocarbons or whatever, and this is scientific stuff. And she's going on and she's saying that, you know, we can cut emissions by doing this. And if everyone will just, you know, if we can all say that we can recycle such and such, um, you know, amount of pounds of, of plastic per week in our household, then we can do this and yada, yada, yada. And he just starts tearing into her. And he's like, well, how come, you know, the most liberal people in those liberal cities that are talking about climate change how come their cities are the dirtiest? I mean, have you ever been to Portland, Oregon? You know how dirty and they're 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 just the most, you know, liberal, you know, active people and they talk about the ozone layer and this and that. And I'm like and and, and she said something, she said the most powerful thing back to him that was wonderful. And and it should have shut him up, but it didn't, of course. And she said, We can do both. We can clean up our streets and we can clean up the ozone layer. It's not one or the other. Right. Why are you right. fighting me on something that will help all of us? This is right. not a liberal agenda. Right. Agenda. This is a human agenda. It's a human agenda. You know? Yes. And it was just like, you know, and that's 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 the crux of what we go through in our societies. Like, are we going to be objective and have a real, critical, critically thought out conversation, or do I just want to tear apart your argument and make you look silly? Yeah. You know. It's like we don't get to solution. Yeah. Um, if all you do is spin, it means you never listen. You never it listen. Yeah. Never take someone else's viewpoint into consideration. And that that is the most dangerous thing that any society can do in mass numbers. Historically told, if you don't believe science, if you don't believe anything else, history will teach us. It will. Yeah. If we don't make some changes. Yeah. One, one of my teachers, uh, the, the first coach I ever had, this is about 22 years ago, 23 years ago when I first started working with her, she said, seek first to understand and then to be understood. Mm -hmm. Understand someone else first. You know, like when I'm in an argument with my wife, usually it's because she doesn't understand what I'm saying. Like she <laughs> right. doesn't understand my point of view. And if I slow down enough, I can get myself to, to, and this doesn't always, this usually happens slower than I'd like it to happen, but right. okay, well, what let's, let me under, how do I understand where she is first? And God, that's such a hard thing. It's such a hard, right. I get tripped up by that constantly. Um, but I yeah. fortunately do some work and 22 years of marriage. I, I yeah. understand. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's uh, it's not you know you don't get married because you want the easy road. This is true. Uh, although you don't know that because you want something real. Yeah, 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 and it, you know, for me, it didn't really start getting real. I don't know, ten years in, eleven mm -hmm. years in, like when you start to realize, like we're in this, you know, and nobody's going anywhere, and mm -hmm. let's get. Let's, you know, we got to, we're, it's almost like you're chained to this person, which is actually a good thing. It serves you. It serves us yeah. as humans to have that chain, but uh, it's too easy to, it's too easy to cut chains, uh, to cut yeah. ties these days, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I want to ask you, and this is maybe a little less deep, but maybe not. Where are you with, I mean, given your, your career as an NFL football player, 
um, this is very present for me because I have an 11 year old son and he loves, he loves to play um, flag football. And mm-hmm. so he plays flag football, he plays soccer. Where are you at with concussion, with concussion protocol, with your kids, with the whole, I mean, God, I, I watched Will Smith's movie. Um, it, it is unbelievably disturbing what yeah. has what is going on in the world of what we're discovering about the little tiny traumas that go on in the brain all the time you know i think the real crime the real danger here is the years that the knowledge and um the understanding of what what was actually happening um i think so many years that evidence was withheld Right. And I think no one knew. Um, I think now that we know, I think it's we're 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 so much better at assessing it. Um, dare I say, the game practice, the preparation is smarter. Um, the the athletes are better conditioned. It's kind of a catch twenty two because people are better conditioned. Evolution of man. People are bigger, faster, stronger. Yeah, it's a more violent game. But at the same time, no one's doing you know two days, three hours both practices and pads anymore like hmm. i went through you know right. it's like when, when i go to an nfl training camp these days i say man i could be playing now if i play now <laughs> I, play I know i play 14 but hell i could play you know 30 years if i if the game was like this right and it's, it's not as barbaric um as a game anymore um but it's still a violent sport it, you know it's still everything about football that you think it is it is and it is it's it's about your will it's about you know how much am i willing to sacrifice my body in the name of competition for this lifestyle for for achievement for glory for the gladiators you know triumph in the arena how much are you willing to do that and how much do you think about your actual safety and yeah. going forward yeah. i mean you you may go to the hall of fame you may you know break the record for sacks or touchdowns or whatever. But if you're 50 years old and you don't know your name or you can't tie your shoes, you know, you, you, you're not around to enjoy your family and they're not, you know, you're not around for them to enjoy you. Yeah. Um, it's definitely real where I am with, um, I, I have one son, he's 17 and he, for the last six years, he's been a basketball player and love basketball. You know, he's, he's, um, he's, 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 he's six, seven now. Um, and he's, he's six, seven, he's 230 pounds. He's a big, big kid, you know? And, um, and he's been of just a phenomenal basketball player, you know, traveling all over the country camps, you know, wanting to go play college basketball. Um, you know, kind of got just long and short of it is he kind of got a little tired of basketball because of the volume and the whole AAU, it's dirty. It's political. It's you know. There's all kinds of things. He played on a um, he played on a shoot contract team last year. Played with ten new kids every weekend all over the country. It wasn't it wasn't a, uh, he didn't he didn't enjoy it. Didn't love it anymore. So he went out for football. <laughs> so I thought I was out of the woods. I thought my son is a basketball player. We don't have to cross that bridge of you know of uh, that degree of bodily sacrifice in yeah. playing this sport. Because that's what it comes down to. How much are you willing to put yourself in harm's way to mm-hmm. play this game? Yep. And for me, I never thought of it that way because football, like I played 14 years. I never missed a game. Um, wow. I was always healthy. I had a few injuries here and there, a few off-season minor procedures. But, 
you know, as far as ball players go, I am, you know, knock on wood, one of the I'm just one of those people that it never really hurt me that bad. What, I didn't what position did you play? What, posi- what position did you play? I was a defensive end. I was a defensive lineman. Jesus. So, I don't have no idea how you I, did that. That's amazing. I had my hand in the dirt for 14 years. And yeah. like I said, it, it just didn't hurt me. When I started to think about what I was doing to myself, when I finally it finally hit me like, man, uh, I've been playing this game for a long time. And, man, there are some days where I'm, wow. You know, uh, when, I, when, I, when I got to that point, I was in year 14, and I, I retired. <laughs> I just walked away from the game, and I wow. walked away healthy on my own terms. Yep. And the game didn't retire me with, with a blown out knee or a, a broken back or a you know torn Achilles or, or nothing like that. I just walked away. Um, do, you, do you attribute so, any of that to the fact that you didn't do sports for so many years of your young life? I mean, so many kids now are starting football when they're six. Yes. And, and to your point, as far as what your kids do, um, is the soccer and the yeah. flag football. Soccer and baseball and flag football, yeah. I played soccer and baseball my entire life. I, I did not play football until middle of my sophomore year. Right. The spring, the spring of my sophomore year, going into my junior years, when I played football for the first time. Um, so, yeah, my body didn't have the wear and tear. I, I, I started later. My body was ready. It yeah. was mature enough. My bones were hardened. And when I worked out and got better and got stronger, my body came along with me. I wasn't out of balance. I had no bad habits because I hadn't planned since I was six. Yep. And my head and doing a bunch of stuff and probably listening to someone when you're six or seven and that pop warner football, that's a little dangerous because not everyone knows how to teach the game. Yeah, right. And, and can you really effectively teach an eight year old to, <laughs> to hit someone the right way? Yeah, right. I mean, can, can you really teach children that are that young the proper way to keep themselves out of harm, harm's way and not do something to another child that? you know, may really injure them. You know, it's just, in, in my opinion, before you're, before you've hit puberty, you should not hit anyone. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because we, uh, you know, I've been coaching baseball now for, uh, the past six years and in, in, in baseball, I mean, and I never really thought about it this way. You know, baseball is a thinking man sport. Um, there's so much, and I think that's why a lot of people drop out of it. A lot of kids, it's not for a lot of kids because you have to be patient. You have to be, you know, it's boring. You're sitting out on the field waiting for the ball to come to you. But the moment that that ball comes to you, you've got to be ready for action, you know, like within, within a split second. And, um, you know, one of the ways we, we were just talking about this last night as to how that prepares you for life. Like I used, I learned as a Marine that I need to be prepared in any situation. So when I, I just habitually now, when I walk into an airplane or when I go into a movie theater, or I go into a crowded space, I'm always thinking, what's my exit plan? Where, where would I go? How would I, how, what would I, would I dive on top of my kid? If, if there was a stampede of people and like, how, how would I do it? And where would I go? And it just, I don't even think about it now. It just happens. Um, but that same kind of readiness has to happen in, in baseball. But I'm now I'm relating it to it, to football, you know, the split second decision you make to dive at a person or you know go helmet first at a person or versus not and right. whether or not a kid can actually make that kind of split second decision and whether or not it's fair to make a kid because in baseball usually there are no major consequences you know you, right. you miss the ball the ball goes under your legs you you throw it to the wrong place you you know you throw it over the head of the first baseman or whatever but in football 
uh, yeah, yes, those yeah. things could happen, but yeah. so could you hit them on the wrong way and you're paralyzed. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So yeah, no, it's something I hadn't really considered. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a look. I'm, I am not a fan of youth football. I'm like flag football all day long, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm just not a fan of out. You're out there and you're ten years old and you're smashing people. Yeah, right. Other people feel differently, but you know what? Um, Fourteen years in the NFL, they start playing until later. Um, I, I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, we on my t- my baseball team, um, uh, Derek Mays. I don't know if you know. Do you know Derek Mays? I don't. He was a Green Bay Packer. Um, went to Notre Dame, um, oh. Super Bowl winner. But he, his son was on my son's baseball team, and we mm-hmm. used to talk about baseball. And hey, when is he going to let his kid play football? He goes, "Kid's going to be athletic. He's going to play basketball. He's going to play baseball. He's going to play you know whatever he wants to play, but he ain't playing football." <laughs> until he gets to an age where almost exactly what you just said until he sure. gets to an age where it's it's appropriate but we got to save that because kids incredibly gifted and um uh yeah no it, it's interesting i got a lot out of that conversation yeah I, if you talk to most professional athletes like ball players um football players particularly we all feel the same way like there aren't a lot of us that will endorse you know, having our children play, you know, when they're eight years old, you right. know, hitting people, playing tackle football. Right. Most of us feel that way. Right. You know, and it's, it's, it's funny when you get a group of us together, there are so many of us that, you know, didn't play until later or we were, you know, two sport athletes or three sport athletes that just kind of fell into it. It's kind of the thing that, you know, it, it just favored us as timing or, you know, but the stories you, you don't, you don't hear like, when you hear about a, a baseball phenom or a kid who, you know, was really good at soccer or um, a swimmer, you know, they've been doing it since they were three. You know, baseball. Right. I mean, the kids been hitting like this and doing all this and learned this when they were five years old. They have their video, whatever. Football isn't that way, right? You know, most right. times you don't have like that kid who was a phenom at five years old and he's knocking the crap out of people. Most times that kid is done by high school, you know, and or even if he plays in high school, it's just. It's all about the timing, and and I just I just think there's you only have you have your body has a shelf life, and there's only so much abuse is really going to take, and yeah. and I think and I think it's timing, and I, I was really lucky that way because I caught I caught football football found me at a time where I was growing and I grew into everything that I wanted to do, and it was a very natural progression. Well, there's a warriorness to football that is not present in uh, a lot of those sports you were mentioning, you know, with triathlon or gymnastics or or swimming or whatever. And, um, you know, as a warrior, as a I don't know if I'm a former warrior, former Marine, uh, which they say once a Marine, always a Marine, always a Marine. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, no right, right, right. They say like the big thing is you weren't you're not an ex Marine. You're a former Marine because you're you're always a Marine. But, you know, like I would never say that learning the things that I learned. Now, they're, they're very essential life skills that I learned as a Marine. But um, but that doesn't mean it's appropriate to teach a 10-year-old that. You know, you don't want 10, 10-year-olds running around with M16s because they just don't, they haven't developed that, that discernment to, you know, right. and, and the decision-making stuff that is required. And, and when it comes to life and death stuff, which I know football is a game, but it's closer to life and death stuff than, than a lot of other sports. 
um, you know, uh, so I go ahead. I, I just get I, I get what you mean. Like there's there's an ageness that I think that is appropriate for those kind of combative sports. That yeah. doesn't mean that the skills aren't good. You know, hey, okay, get that, get out the, uh, get out the ladder and do the ladder training. Get out the hurdles and do the hurdle training and do the lateral shuffles and the, you know, all the skill, like incredible skill work you can do and have fun, throw a football and learn plays and all that stuff. But in terms of the com- combativeness, yeah. um, not so good. That's 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 the element of football that's different than any other sport. Yeah, and um, I mean, unless you're a boxer or yeah. a wrestler or something like that, something yeah. that's physical, but that nature, but. There is a physicality, uh, a malicious intent um, of violence that um, if you have it, if you could tap into it, if you could tap into that warrior mentality inside of yourself, if you have reckless abandon and no regard for your own safety, um, then it helps you. (laughs) Right, right, right. It serves you well. That's why, you know, and I tell people this and I tell them very seriously. I said, look, you may think that I'm a polished well-spoken, nice guy. You know, I'm spiritual. I do charity work. I'm a good dad. I try to be a good husband. You know, I do dishes. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of redeeming qualities about me, but when it comes to crossing the white lines, if you ever, if you ever met that guy, um, he's a different guy. Right. You know, he's an honorable man. Yeah. And he's an honorable warrior. But if you are in his path, and you are the person who is on the other side of the line, then I have no regard for your safety. Right. I have no regard for for you at all. You are you are the enemy. You are the opposition. And either I beat you, or I have to go home and get a day job. Right. <laughs> and so that's that's the way I look at it. And my dream is too strong for you to kill it. My Do- drive and everything that I've worked for, you know, all that emotion comes out when you when you step on the football field um the blessing of being able to play a game for a you know play a sport for a living to live in a country where you're free enough to do that and you know it's a sunday afternoon and there's a flyover by the military and they're stretching out the flag and everything else it's like man that's that's a blessing like that's that's fun that's that's the reward that's so all the training and all the the ladder drills and the working out, all that stuff, and the X's and O's is great. But that 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 heart factor, um, and I know that's kind of probably consistent with any sport. You know, you feel that motivation and that love. Yeah. But for violence in football, um, it's, it comes to a whole new level. Yeah. I, you know, most most of the guys you talk to, you know, football players, we're all husbands and dads, and we probably seem like nice guys. But you being a Marine, um, I know that. There's a switch. There's a switch. Like when you walk into a theater and you, you're looking for the exit yep. and you're, you're looking for, you know, okay, how many windows where, you know, <laughs> I, I, I was never in the military. Yeah. Okay. But I think the same way I'm, 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 I'm wired in such a way as to where I, I, I'll, I'll never sit in a restaurant or in a public place with my back to the, to, 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 to the entrance. Yeah. You know, if I do, I'm sitting across someone that I trust. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Cause they got so, your back. Yeah. One of those, one of those little things. And, um, and that's, 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 but football players are different, you know? And, yeah. and, and I think, I just think being a child, you know, when I hear these coaches say, you know, don't, 
be soft, run through them, put your head in there, come on, you know, don't be a P word, rah, 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 rah. And you're like, this kid is nine. Right. Uh, you know, I'm like, you know, he just got through making a, a macaroni thing for his mom for Mother's Day, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're telling him to, you know, to kill this other kid. I'm like, there's time for that. Yeah. And there's yeah. a time when it's appropriate for you to step into that type of aggression, yeah, right. you know, as a grown up. But then have to come when you're eight. How did your training change? And this is a changing gears just a little bit. Um, how did your training change once you got out of playing professional football, being coached, being being guided, uh, you know, told told what to do, and also having to do it for a living? What what did? Well, how do you stay fit now? I guess this is one big question. Sure, um, I think people. I think the evolution of the sport has has made it such that um, uh, it's just like anything else. I mean. The people, even when you're a Marine, it's like the people whose lifestyles um, aid in what they're doing, those people whose lifestyles go along with what they're doing, um, the sport will favor. Um, yeah. Just like, you know, when, so while I was playing football, I was, I, I was, I was lucky. I, I, you know, I married my wife. I married Shima when I was 22. Right? I, I proposed to her in my rookie year, rookie wow. season in the NFL. Uh-huh. We've been married for 22 years now. And she is a bit of a health nut, does yoga. You know, she's run like seven marathons. You wow. know, she, she's, like, she's run like five marathons, about seven half marathons. She's done a bunch of triathlons. And, you know, she's she just like she won't say it. She'll say, oh, my knees hurt and I'm this and oh, I'm fat or I'm this or I can't, you know, but she's my wife is 44 years old. And, you know, she's probably within five pounds of the day that I met her. You know, and she hasn't changed and she looks the same. And mm-hmm. she's one of those people that you're just like, you know, you, you kind of hate him a little bit. Because, yeah, right. Right. You know, she, she's so smart. She has her has her crap together. But she but she she eats well and mm-hmm. she's healthy. And, and so being married to her, having a lifestyle that that was healthy, that was that made good life choices. And um, it, it just it, it helped me. And, and, and so I was always healthy away from the sport. Uh, I never okay. was one of those guys who would put on 20, 30 pounds in the off season right. and, you know, I'd have to get back into shape with this major overhaul when the season came around. We were always taking walks, hiking in my off season. My wife's working out, you know, three or four days a week. Um, you know, she would you just, fun. would you just join her or would you? Would yeah. You... And so every off season I was huh. either doing a spin class you know, as the workout trends changed, so I yeah. was either doing a spin class or a boot camp class. And then later on, I started doing, we, when I, well, when I first retired, um, she got into CrossFit. So yeah. we, I joined a CrossFit, you know, box. And um, I started, and I start. I don't know if you know this, but I started the, the ninth CrossFit gym in the world uh, back in 2004. And awesome. uh, so I'm, awesome. I'm kind of familiar with CrossFit. I know what you're talking about. Uh, she got into CrossFit, so I got into CrossFit, uh-huh. and we were doing that for a while. And she 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 injured herself doing something because she's just crazy and yeah, goes right. way overboard. And um, so we ended up she she so you know we'll still do CrossFit, we'll still do she she does we do yoga, um, you know, and she'll so she'll get you know she'll get a hair up her butt and she'll say you know I think I want to try this new Orange Theory. Yeah. So we've been going to this Orange Theory thing. Yeah, cool, cool. So we're always doing something like that. Our vacations are. You know, we went to Victor, Idaho, um, about three years in a row over the summer when our, I think our son was probably um, 
from the time he was nine or 10 to about 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. And um, when we would go out there and we fly into Jackson Hole and we drive an hour to Victor, Victor's a population of 700 people. And, you know, there's just, we rent a cabin, we, we rent bikes and we go back and forth to the general store. We cook our food and, you know, all vegetables and everything else. And there's a working garden at the place and we, you know, take vegetables and our vacation, we're we're hiking every day. You know, we, we took our 10 year old on a, on a 32 mile, you know, mountain bike course, you know, yeah, right. just, adventures, just, you know, and, and so our kid has kind of grown up that way. And it's our lifestyle where, you know, when we go anywhere, we go on vacation, we're bringing our workout clothes. Yeah. Right. Right. Where, where we go to the beach, where we're planning to take a long walk. We're going to run down the beach. We're going to do something. So, um, having that lifestyle, um, away from football while I was playing, um, kind of aided in my transition to, Post football. You know, there's nothing like opening your fridge at lunchtime, seeing a stack of meals sitting in there that are from a kitchen like the good kitchen that you know are going to be delicious, that you know are compliant to the whole life challenge, to a paleolithic diet, to a ketogenic diet, to a vegetarian diet, what really whatever parameters you set. And you know it's going to be delicious and you don't have to think. Oh, it's such a relief. Whether you are doing that at your house or you're doing that at work, where you, at the beginning of the week, you just bring all your meals in, put them in the work fridge and keep them there, or one day, bring them in one day at a time. Uh, You need a microwave to heat them up or a stovetop. And (laughs) I'm a little crazy. I don't even heat them up. I eat them cold. So... I just want to remind you that if you have not done this before, you can get 15% off your first order if you use this link, thegoodkitchen.com forward slash WLC. That's thegoodkitchen.com forward slash WLC. Let's get back to the show. Um, Post football, for, for me, like I mentioned earlier, I know that I've done a lot of damage to my body. And I've and I and I know I have the I have the the blessing and the luxury of being um, a former NFL Players Association executive committee member. And when you start, you know, involving yourself in these programs and second career savings plan and medical plans and future ongoing medical issues and screening and and you know taking care of our older players. When, when you start getting into policy and then to the actual inner workings of that from an administrative standpoint, which I was on that side of negotiating, you know, collective bargaining agreement, stuff like that. And we look at all these programs and continuing education and stuff like that. When you start looking at those things, those are things that are in place to enrich the lives of former players. Um, so I, I, or I had to meet with a lot of these former players mm-hmm. and you meet these guys and they're, they're people that I grew up watching. And they're maybe 15 to 20 years older than me. So they're not that much older, right. you know? And, and you start talking to them. And some of them look great. Some of them, you know, genetically, man, you're like, gosh, you know, of course you played 15 years in the league. Look at you. You're a 60-year-old man and you're, you know, it looks yeah. great. Yeah. But some people you meet, you know, they're 45 years old and they look like they're 70. Right. You know, they have right. all kinds of health conditions and things that are wrong. And, oh, I... I took this, you know, anti-inflammatory, but at the time it, it, just, it destroyed my liver. So, or I, now I'm on dialysis because, you know, I didn't know that, you know, Biox or Bextra was bad for me as an anti-inflammatory. And, and so you have all these issues. And so you meet these people and your heart goes out to them. And, you know, but then you start saying, wait a minute, 
that's going to be me. You know, that right. could possibly be me if I don't take care of myself. Yep. So, look, I made some some decisions along the way to to play at times when I probably shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I made some 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 decisions to at times to you know when my shoulders separated and it's not going to go back in the joint. They just tape it up and put a little novocaine in it and I go play. Yeah, right. You know, I've done that more often than not. Right. You know, and in the name of competition and that warrior inside of me but you're going to pay the piper someday. So I'm, I am lessening the blow of father time. I am continuing to try and outrun that, that, that older um, decrepit version of myself that's chasing me. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's chase, chasing yeah, right, me. Right. Yeah, I get up and I work out and I finish my workout. I'm like, he's, he's eating my dust. And, yeah. and as long as I keep running, as long as I keep forging forth and, you know, finding different ways to, to stay fit. And, and it's, I mean, I think it makes all the difference in the world. I have to believe that anyway. What, what are some of the most important things that you consider that you do now to keep, to stay ahead of that guy that's running behind you? The, you know, like in terms of, I know obviously working out, but what are some of the other things that you do? Um, I only drink three things. I drink coffee, I drink water and I drink a little alcohol. <laughs> so, um, don't drink a lot of alcohol at all. Have a, have about um, every night before I go to sleep, I pour myself about a half a shot of either bourbon or scotch. Ah. But I, that's my normal nighttime, you know, ritual. What's um, your What's your favorite bourbon or scotch? I like Woodford Reserve or Angel's Envy. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I like Bullet. Uh-huh. I like Maker's Mark. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm more of a single malt scotch guy. So I'm 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 into Macallan. I love McAllen. Yeah. Love that stuff. Yeah, a friend of mine got me a bottle of, I think it was 20, was it a McAllen 25 or 20? And oh. I had no idea at the time I'd never had McAllen before and I had no idea what I was drinking. And I started pouring it out for people in shots in the bottle. And he goes, dude, no. he goes, before he goes, before you do that, you may want to look to see what that is. Yeah. <laughs> and I got through half the bottle and I did that. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm putting this away. <laughs> I people I hope they were people that you cared about. They were, you know? they were, it was my own birthday party. So okay. yeah, it was, it was, it was worth it, but, uh, I didn't know what I was pouring. Um, yeah. so yeah. So yeah. So, so for me, I drink tons of water. Okay. Um, I, I drink water all day, all night. Um, how much is got, tons? Just out of curiosity. Sorry. How much is tons, uh, out of curiosity? Do you, do you know, do you measure it? Is it a gallon a day? Is it a, a liter, I, two I've liters? never measured it actually. Um, what I do is, um, in, in our house, we have, we have, we have these water coolers, you know, we have the big jugs of water that we replace. Yeah. Gets delivered. And, um, and I keep a glass and it's a, it's about, it's a 16 ounce glass. Mm-hmm. I keep the glass right on the counter next to the water cooler. And there's one next to the water cooler downstairs. And there's one next to the water cooler upstairs in our house. And, and literally, and, and my son, you know, he for for a while he thought that the, the glass was magic because the the it would always be full of water and huh. he never saw me fill it. You know, and he says, "Dad, why is there always a, a full glass of water?" <laughs> and I'm like, "I drink that glass and fill it up like ten times a day." And he's huh. like, "I never see you fill it up. I see you drink it, but then I, I turn around and it's magically full again." <laughs> so, long story short, basically, I, I I I literally walk like when I get up in the morning first thing I do is walk to the water cooler and drink three glasses of water. I, I literally take down three 16 ounce glasses of water where I'm like, like just full of water. Yep. And 
that usually helps in my morning routine. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You know, and um, kind of gets my body going. And um, and I and all day I, I seriously like whenever I walk past the water cooler, I drink it. Hmm. When I'm out, I make sure there's always um, two, no less than two bottles of water in my truck at all times. Um, you know, before my workout, during my workout, after my workout, um, with dinner, you know, I'm all, all I drink is water right. all day. Right. I drink two cups of coffee usually a day. I may have a cup in the afternoon if I'm dragging a little bit, but three cups of coffee, countless glasses of water, yeah. probably at least at least eight to ten glasses of water a day, plus whatever I drink outside of my house. So I, I'm never actually kept account, but that's a that's a good thing. I'm, I'm I might keep a container and just measure just or, to, just know, to get some idea. Like, Are you you know much? if you if you drank 10, 16 ounce glasses of water a day, that's one hundred and sixty ounces. You're at you're at you know gallon and a gallon and a quarter, gallon and a third, about. So uh, yeah, all day, and but now day. you're bit you're a big guy. So like, yes. how how much do you weigh now? Like now that you're not playing. I'm too, that's a little personal, man. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Well, I, I almost said, sorry. Is, are you okay sharing how much you're, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm the first thing I did when I retired, talk about lifestyle change, um, is I lost 40 pounds. So wow. I was, I was, I was, I was like three, probably three ten, three fifteen at my heaviest by the time I ended my career. Um, so it probably wasn't 40. So by the time I ended my career, I, I, I couldn't, I simply couldn't be that heavy. And mm-hmm. keep the weight because the older you get, the yeah, more the harder that is on all your joints and on your body, on your body and yeah. joints. So to play a game that I played when I was 27, you know, and could be 315, I could you know run all day, run through eight brick walls, and I'm 310, and ah, you know, and I'm 20, I'm 25, 26 years old, and man, nothing hurts. Yeah. But when you're 35 and you're still in the locker room, and you know, I. I couldn't be 310. Yep. So I was about 290, 295 mm-hmm. towards the end. But immediately I lost like 30 pounds. Like I was down to 260 like that. And wow. I think it was kind of drastic. And people were like, are you okay? Right, you know, right, right. With your help? And I just, I stopped eating as much. Because mm-hmm. eating had become a chore at that point. Because when you're 35 and you're playing a game with 22-year-olds, you can't eat chili cheese fries for energy. Um, when you're a young man, it doesn't matter what you, you yeah. can throw all kinds of, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're shoveling coal into the furnace, yeah. it doesn't matter if there's a few sticks or yeah, right. rocks or right. stuff like that. It just goes up in smoke and gets burned and uses yeah. fuel, but not when you're 37 years old. Right. Um, right. So I had to eat clean and eat so much to get the same energy um, when I was out there. And it just, I got tired of it. Yeah. That was one of the biggest reasons I retired from pro football is I got tired of the maintenance. Yeah, right. The, right. the maintenance that it took to, to hydrate and eat. And I had to eat so much to, to, to power my body at that point, getting yeah. older. And I, I, had to, I had to stretch so much. I had to ice so much. I had to, you know, I had to warm up so much earlier than everyone else. That's what made me retire. It was I got tired of the maintenance on my body and everything I had to do just to be able to play this game. Yeah. I used to be able to wake up, eat, eat three, you know, uh, egg muffins, a couple of hash browns, throw back a couple of, you know, waters, Gatorades, doesn't matter. Hey, I'll, you know, run, go play, ha, 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 drink 20 beers, you know, oh, I'm good, ah, 
I, you know, no, right. man. When you guys, when you get older, that stuff doesn't work anymore. Right. And, I totally relate to and, that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then so for me, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a welcome lifestyle decision for me to lose weight when I left the game. Um, and I wanted to see like how I felt, um, how I felt devoid of having this, um, this stress on my body. So I didn't do anything for when I first retired. Like I, like I just stopped. I just said, I'm going to, I'm going to eat well, but I'm going to, I'm going to rest. I'm going to feel what it's like to not have to make my body work. I'm going to feel what it's like to not have to ignore the pain that I know that's there because I've got a game Sunday. And you can yep. think about that pain if you want to, but all it's going to do is make you worry about whether you're going to be able to play or not. So you just ignore it. You just ignore it and keep going. And I didn't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Um, so when I lost 30 pounds, I was in the most pain I'd ever felt in my life. And it was the wow. scariest thing in the world. Here I was, 30 pounds lighter. My joints hurt. My insides hurt. Every injury I had ever had came back to me over the course of – a month's time. Every day I would wake up and something else felt like I just injured it. Wow. My career span. And I think that was just kind of cathartic. My mm-hmm. body was kind of going through, you know, finally being able to react to all these things that I'd been repressing for so long. But then that's the time I got busy. That's the time I, I got back and started working out again because mm-hmm. when I worked out, I didn't, I didn't hurt. <laughs> when I, when I trained, when I took care of myself, when I stretched, when I maintained my body, uh, you know, to some degree, yep. the more I maintained it, the better I felt. Um, it makes sense because the more I maintained it as I got older in the NFL, the longer I could play. Yeah. So yep. if I'm going to live my life, if I maintain my body, then the longer I'll live. So um, so I, I got into the habit then. I made the decision. I'm going to be like my wife. Like, I'm going to be that person where, you know, We'll, 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 we'll drink these little clean juice things and I'll make sure I'm taking all my vitamins every day. I'm drinking a ton of water, you know, Hey, do you have a I certain, mean, do you have a certain diet? Do you have a certain diet you follow? Like, certain, sorry? do you have a certain diet you follow or way of eating that you um, subscribe to? I read a book years ago called the lean bodies diet. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was, it, it just, it, it was, it was so basic that it was smart. <laughs> and it was like, look, you don't have to do all these, um, you know, crazy shakes and this and all that to, to, to lose weight or to be your best self. All you have to do is observe some simple rules. Um, make sure that your all your meals are balanced, balanced with protein, complex carbohydrates, and not too many simple sugars and fats or starches. But you do, but you do need some starch. But you need yep. good starch. Yeah, we need we need complex, we need carbohydrates, but we don't need you know we don't need simple carbohydrates. You know. Um, Stay away from white flour, mm-hmm. white rice. You know, if it doesn't have any oats or grain in it, then it's not good for you. Mm-hmm. So I literally just started eating. When I, I would have a meal, I would eat meat and veggies and, you know, a healthy starch. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a baked potato or a baked sweet potato or something like that. I started making better choices when I ate based upon this this book. And I just, um, it was a basic kind of blueprint for, for how to govern my diet. And then that's, that's kind of what I live by now. And so now whenever I sit down and eat, I make sure that my meals are balanced. Um, I make sure that if I get hungry, my in-between snacks are pieces of fruit or uh, a non-GMO or non-whatever, like a healthy protein bar. Like I like those little cup of gold. I grab the gold bars. I've never you had know, those. Something that's, 
something that's gluten free and just, yep. just a good little, you know, and so that's, that's what I do now. I just, I make sure every meal, like this morning I had an egg white omelet with wheat toast and, you know, I had, um, some yogurt and granola. Now, do you, do you avoid, do you avoid fat? Like it's not, you know, egg whites, is that because of the cholesterol or because of fat or why do you not, why do you avoid the yolk? And do you, do you avoid fats? I, I try to avoid fats whenever I can. I, I try to uh, I try to avoid uh, saturated fats. Mm-hmm. So I try not to eat a lot of butter yep. and stuff like that. Um, and like the, the egg yolks, because I know there's going to be other ways that I'm not going to be that healthy. Like I, like I know like when I, when I was time for me to have dessert, I'm going to eat a pint of, pint of Ben and Jerry's, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's my poison. Yeah, and, right. I, and I'm not going to say, and I'm not going to say no if my wife makes a cake or makes brownies or something like that. I'm going to enjoy my life. Yeah. But my, my, my everyday practice is that I'm mostly disciplined. So it gives you the flexibility. If you're always doing the right thing, if you're always drinking tons of water and that's all I drink, I don't drink soda. I don't drink, you know, iced coffees and teas and all this stuff. I drink water yeah. all day, every day. Right. So it gives me the flexibility when I say, oh man, we, we, we try this drink. Let me try this thing. Oh, there's new shake. I can have one of those because all I drink is water. So, and that's kind of the same way with my diet. I, I just eat well most of the time. Yep. And so I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really think about it. It's become a lifestyle change. It's yeah, become that's my cool. life. That's cool. So I don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah, you, you and I function very, very similarly. I don't avoid the fat like you do, but in terms of um, eating well uh, most of the time, so that I can enjoy my, you know, vices like ice cream. I, ice cream is happens to be one of my main vices. Um, pizza too. I that's a just a god. It's a weakness. It's kryptonite. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, look, I'm 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 cognizant of the time because I I know uh, we're 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 at the end of your allotted timeline. And uh, I could probably, people know me on the podcast, I could go for another hour easily. Um, but, but not everybody has that amount of time to give me. Yeah. I'm good for a little longer if you are. Oh, really? Oh, great. Yeah. I, I, well, how many, what, 10 minutes? What, what, when, when do you want me to cut you off? What do you, what do you think? It's up to you. But totally. I didn't know what you're, if you want to go another 30 minutes, 30 minutes, we'll go another half hour. Oh, wow. Awesome. Okay. That's fantastic. Um, what so okay so well that given that given that scenario so okay so let me let me think back where we just were we're talking about nutrition are there any other pra- like wellness practices that you like uh, employ um, do you like in terms of you know consciousness meditation journaling um, um, organization like how you keep your life straight like in those areas so that you can be your best <laughs> you know uh, you know that's that's actually. Uh... If anybody tells you that they have that aspect of their life figured out, they're lying. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it's a practice, right? It's a you're practicing to eventually have it handled, which you never will. Right. Um, and for me, my lifestyle has changed so dramatically over the last ten years from what I was doing to what I'm doing now, mm-hmm. and, and even within what I'm doing now, I have to find the space and the pockets of time to organize myself devoid of a consistent work life schedule that normal people that have a nine to five job have. Um, There's a lot to be said for having a daily purpose, having somewhere to go, something to do, you know, structuring your time. Um, I know the, the goal 
you know, for most people is to, you know, hey, I want to work from home or be my own boss or I want to do this or whatever. But you're going to do that. You're going to have to be someone who is, you know, you're going to have a full time job managing your own sanity at yeah, the right. same time right. and, and managing um, your own self-worth, how you feel. Because I can tell you, as a former professional athlete, one of the things you go through is an identity crisis. Um, you, you wonder who you are and you wonder how you can contribute to this world. You mean when you, you wonder, when you leave, when you get, when, when you stop, when you leave the game. Yeah, so, right. so, so for me, when I retired, um, that transition into a different life, um, was tricky. So I got into speaking at first, kept, I kept doing my charity work and then I got into broadcasting, um, and broadcasting for about five years when I was with ESPN gave me a consistency of schedule that it helped to regulate and manage my time. But that was only during, you know, from July to December. The rest of the year, I was, I was sort of back on the professional athlete time schedule, football, football schedule, like uh, time timeline again, because mm-hmm. I was seasonal. Yeah. Um, but but it, it, it made me face another challenge as far as structuring my time and doing things. And, and that, that's, that's why I say it's a work in progress. There have been times where, you know, when, when I've had something more consistent um, that I've been able to structure it better. Um, but now, like now, it's funny that you asked that question, you know, out of everything we've talked about. And I, I know there are, there are good things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn over a, an area of my life right now and expose something and be vulnerable to you a little bit. Um, That's something that I'm actually really struggling to find right now is because I know that, okay, here's a scenario. My wife is, um, is a, got her master's in um, clinical social work. She is starting to practice now as a, as an LCSW. Um, she's also doing government grant work, um, working for, um, charities and foundations that lobby for children's rights and kinship care and foster system and stuff like that government aid. So she is forging her way and doing that. Um, I need to be there for her. Um, I don't, I don't have a constant, I don't have a, I don't have a consistent broadcast gig. It's not football season right now. It's, right. you know, it's the off season. So I'm around, I'm the person who buys the groceries. I'm the person who goes to the cleaners. Uh-huh. I do the dishes. I communicate with all the people that, service our house and deliver the water and, you know, everything and guy coming to fix the fridge and, you know, uh-huh. coming to work on the, you know, AV system. It's like, it's me. I'm, I'm, I'm Mr. Mom. So, so at different times in, in your life and within your marriage, you know, you take on different roles and you yeah. put on different hats and I'm really in a space right now where I'm doing my charity work. I'm coaching high school football. Um, our son is 17 years old. He is a junior about to be a senior in high school. He's, you know, he's a great kid. He's got a 4.4 GPA. He's, he's, you know, he took his SAT once. He scored a 13.10. He, you know, he wants to go to a really, really good school. You know, he's going to take his SAT again. He's trying to get over 1,500 because he wants to go to like, you know, an Ivy League school or something like that. But we have the, the complication of football. In our, in our life now and, and after 17 days of playing football he now has two division one offers already on the table so he's got to decide whether or not, or not to go and play um college football or college basketball or whatever um i only say all that you know i'm bragging as a parent but i'm also saying that you know my child needs me 
and a capacity that my lifestyle allows me to be around. So I could, I could be seeking to be an extra in a movie or I could be seeking, you know, other broadcast gigs or seeking something or doing something else, really trying to occupy my time with um, chasing more stardom and, you know, building upon the platform that I've created. And, but right now I don't want to do that right now. There's a stronger calling for me to be a husband, a dad, you know, my wife is, you know, she was valedictorian of her high school. She's from Jamaica. She's there on the English school system. So she's brilliant. You know, she graduated high school at like 15 and a half, 16 years old. And, and um, I only say that to say that, you know, she's got two master's degrees and she's brilliant, but she's chosen to be my wife. She's, she chose to be a stay at home mom to give our child the wonderful existence and give me as a dad, just the, you know, the hero reception and structure of my life outside of football. I had such a wonderful wife who created this environment outside of what I was doing. And, and so I owe that to my family now to be there for them in this capacity. So, so managing my time and managing structure and everything else right now is kind of, it's been a challenge, not because of the, the obligation, the obligatory, um, the obligations give me structure being there for them gives me structure. So that's the one consistent thing. But the other part of that is how do I feel about myself and what I'm doing and my contribution? You know, what is my plan going forward? And that's where there's a struggle because I have to balance, you know, how much you want to chase it, how much you want to forge and do something and how much you want to be there for your kids and your, your family and your wife. So that's always a constant thing. But I think um, right now um, I'm, I'm being called upon in a different way to be there for my family. And that's, that's it's good and it's bad. It's it's good because you, you you can only give to people within spaces of time in their life when they really need you. Yeah. And you know, because my wife didn't need me before, but she needs me now. My son needed me in a different way when he was younger, but now he's playing the sport that I played 14 years as a professional, and he's navigating a landscape and that he's never been in before. I can be there for him, and more importantly for me, I get to share in his experience. You know, how awesome is that for us to be that and have that and share that at this time? I'll, I'll never get that back. Um, so, but lifestyle structure, that's um, the one thing that my, my wife through her, my wife is trying to forge her own set of tools to, um, to, better, to be a better social worker, um, to be a better counselor, to be a better listener. To, so she has... She is, um, she gave me a book on mindfulness. Um, um, and I, and I, I, I don't want to mess up this person's name and I'll have to text it to you or whatever, but it's, it's, it's an Asian name uh-huh. and it's this on mindfulness and there comes from, um, Buddhist monks and they practice this mindfulness, you know, really Pima being, children? is it Pima, Sorry? Ch- is it Pima, Pima children? No, it's, uh, it's, child not ting or something it's, it's somebody but yeah, but anyway right. my wife um is, is is doing this whole mindfulness and it's not really a religious thing it's more of just a it's you know and people people mistake it people think oh you're you know i thought you were christian you know what, what are you doing <laughs> talking about it? like no, no 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 it's not this is the mindfulness 
to be in your skin, to be present in the moment, to be where you are. If you, if you happen to be in a situation or a circumstance that you don't like, there's a way to find joy and peace and, and bring that to every situation that, that you're in. And there's also a meditation that goes along with that. So I'm, I'm actually reading this book on mindful meditation and being present um, so that I can be a better listener because I'm, I'm really in a service capacity to my family right now. So I'm, I'm trying to make that transition. So talk about mindfulness or meditation. I mean, I pray in the morning and I pray at night. That's just a habit I've gotten into from when I was a kid that grew up in a, you know, just an archaic Southern Baptist church. And we were in church all day on Sunday and everything else. And I'm not quite that churchy or religious-y, but, but, but the spirituality is something that has stayed consistent with me within my heart. And it's something that I think, you know, that's who fuels. Um, I think that's, that's the motivation that fuels who we are and what our contribution is to others while we're here on this planet is, is, is how we're, is how we're led or how we're, you know, how God speaks to our heart. It's, you know, why are you here? What are you trying to do? You know, we all get caught up in the rat race, but there has to be an underlying thing or, impetus or purpose that we're all working towards and and for most of us for most of us it it's love you know it's, it's love of something whether it's love of money or love of your family or or whatever but um that that mindfulness is what i'm trying to build right now just to be present in everything that i do so that i can enrich every interaction and circumstance i find myself in hey guys sorry for the last interruption but I wanted to remind you that this podcast lives and breathes based on your reviews in iTunes and you being willing to forward it to a friend. So if you're getting something out of this conversation and you think a friend might, do me a favor and send him a link. Actually, do the world a favor and send him a link. The more people we get listening to these conversations and then being willing to step up and change their lives or learning a tidbit from one of these conversations, the better it is for everybody. So uh, do me a favor and do that. And if you're feeling really good, please go to iTunes and leave a review. The easiest way to do that is to go to the link bit.ly forward slash Andy Petronic podcast. That's bit.ly forward slash Andy Petronic podcast. And that should open up iTunes for you and you can go to ratings and review and leave a little ditty. So um, thanks again. Thanks for indulging this little little reminder. And let's get back to the show. Well, I think it's interesting, you know, uh, what, what speaks to me about what you're saying is defining what success means. Hmm. Like what, like if you're, you know, if you project yourself forward 30 years and you're looking back over your life, what would have to have happened for you to be able to say my life was successful? And I think for each of us, it's a, there's a different answer. Maybe, maybe there's not. Maybe it's all the same and, you know, it's all just love. But I think perhaps there is a way to define that. So you, so you, can, so you can put in some landmarks, uh, some things to, okay, I know that success means to me that I, you know, financial, that's one area. And then emotional and then, you know, relationships or friends or whatever, whatever those things are, you know, I think, I think spending time on that question is incredibly valuable because then you're not just working to work. 
you know, and I think a lot of people are working to be, you're busy, you're just busy at doing what? And, and is what you're busy doing leading to your definition of success? And if it's not, well, first of all, most people don't even know. Right. <laughs> that question stops them in their tracks. Yeah. You most know? of us are on the hamster wheel of life. Yeah. Yeah. Most of us are just grinding our gears. We're, we're caught in Groundhog Day, day after day, the same reality, or we're caught in, 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 in checking off tasks. Yeah. And, and I find myself guilty of this all the time, and which is why I, I make lists of things that I have to do. And But I can truly tell you this, though, man. When I check off those things on the list, it makes me happy. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, right. It, it really gives me a satisfaction. I agree. Like, me too. And these days, these days, I'm, I'm drawing that motivation and that happiness from, you know, I've got to go to the grocery store. I've got to buy a ground turkey and vegetables because our dog is allergic to everything. So we cook for him now. Wow. So, yeah. and I'm the one who cooks for the dog. So, <laughs> so I'm thinking in my head, I've got to ground the turkey meat for the dog. Holy I've got to, I have an orange theory class I got to get to. I have to go to the grocery store and, and cause my wife says that she's going to cook, but she wants me to buy the stuff so that she can cook when she gets yeah. home from work. Um, I've got to, you know, go and, um, you know, make these calls because I've got this charity event going on. I've got to call these sponsors. I've got, you know, have all these little things to do. And maybe 10 years ago, that would have been a different list of things yeah. that I, I would have had to have checked off. Stretch, um, mobilize, ice, workout, yeah. uh, you know, take your supplements. Right. It's all about performance. I totally, but, yes. But, but even on a, but even on a macro scale, um, just for my life you talk about happiness and what it looks like 15 years ago. If you'd asked me what my, if what happiness or success would look like at 45, um, I would have told you, you know, I left the game on my own terms, healthy, um, you know, um, I'm doing games or doing broadcasting for this network and I'm, I'm busy. I'm at the SBs. I'm at, I'm backstage of, you know, the Grammys I'm this and that. Fast forward to reality, I'm 45, and you couldn't pay me to be at this at, at that many events. You couldn't pay me to be that busy working and doing all of that. All that stuff is fun, and it's fun to step into that lifestyle every now and then, but my daily existence of, you know, the mundane activities, being that I'm serving my family and being that, like, when I look at my relationship with my wife, okay, 22 years of marriage, I know ball players, I know powerful men who've done well. Their relationship with their wife isn't like mine. You know, she's my best friend. I can, I can truly say that. Like, we like hanging out together. Mm-hmm. We get pissed off with each other. We will go for a half a day where we know we're just not talking. And it's, you know, but we, 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 we come around where we're there. Um, the understanding and the communication that I have with her, the relationship I have with my child being that I spent time investing in his life. And, you know, I was the BP coach for baseball. My son played baseball for a long time. And I had no greater joy in my life than to have my shoulder worn out and be pelted by a few baseballs in the, in, in the cage an hour before every baseball game we played because I, I'm sitting there empty in a bucket of balls, getting all these kids ready to play. 
And, you know, of course, they go on to the park and they're taking grounders and you're left picking up all the balls and lugging. And I'm covered in sweat. Yep. That was my existence in my offseason with my son. So now when he's at high school and he works out or he goes to work out with his trainer outside of school, who's a friend of mine that I played ball with, you know, when he goes to work out at, you know, with with them and I'm there. I take him, I go to his seven on seven practice and I, I take him and I'm, I'm able to be in the space with him. And my relationship is with him is, is wonderful. It's great. I, I can talk to him. He can talk to me. He tells me things that existence within my own family under my house, I would have never had, had I not put the time in over the last 15 years, I would not have that relationship with my wife and I would be, I could be like another guy, another ball player who has this family that he doesn't really know, has this wife that doesn't relate to him the same way because she wants a real relationship, not just the the fabricated one that you have when you're playing ball and you're so busy, you can't even, you can't be considerate. You can't be there. You can't, you can't be your best, can't be the best husband when you're in a, in a profession like that. It's just all consuming and it's all, it's a two man, it's a two person profession. And there's a sacrifice that has to be made by that person, your spouse. Yeah. And, but that satisfaction of my life is so much more important to me now. And if you asked me 15, 20 years ago, my answer would have been different, but I'm so glad that I had, I had the type of wife that challenged me <laughs> to be a better man yeah. And I, that's one thing I, I truly believe too. If, you, if you're married to someone who's not, who doesn't frustrate you, that you don't want to, that you don't get pissed off and you want to choke them out half the time or whatever, then you, you probably aren't in love. You know, you probably don't have the best person for you. The person's not going to make you a better version of yourself. I'm a better man, a better person. And I'm getting into this mindfulness thing, you know, and I know it's the best thing for me. It's going to help me organize my, my shit, my, my, get my crap on the same page with each other and yeah, right. be more consistent. But, you know, I begrudgingly and I laugh at myself, but that's, 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 that's real. That's, I think that's concrete. That's what, that's what sustains. That's true happiness. You know, I see people, you know, and people taking their own lives and, and, and the issues that we have. And, you know, I read about Anthony Bourdain and I, I feel so bad for his family, uh, you know, to be such a hopeless or such a place where you, you, you feel that that's the best alternative is, is a, is a horrible, it's a horrible place to be. But I, I truly believe that we're man's not meant to live alone. And the more you attach yourself and good relationships and invest in good people and good things, those things, you have a little bit more to lose. You know, I have to be here. I got to be here for my kid. I got to be here for my wife. I have, I've, I've invested. I've done too much. I've, I've, I've worked so much in this foundation. I have to keep doing these events. I have well, to do charity. There's a difference, though. I think in what, how I hear you communicating. It's not just I have to. I want to. Yes. I think that's a really big difference. Yeah. You know, right. It doesn't strike me as you're the kind of guy who's doing things because you have to. You're no. doing it because you actually want to, and that's a big shift that I think a lot of people could stand to consider making. I feel charged. Yeah. I feel charged by charged by life, but charged also by my circumstances. 
Um, I think to whom much is given, much is expected. I think we are lucky and we're blessed to be born where we're born at this time in history. And no one can help that. Um, whether you're from, um, it's you know, whether you're from like a, a quote unquote, uh, you know, crap hole country or whether you're from the United States, you know, we can't help where we're born. But man, if you are born into certain circumstances and you are, you do have certain and you're healthy and you're not one of those people battling a life threatening illness. Yeah. You're, you're charged. Life, life has charged you. And look, I grew up in a Baptist church. So I'm going to quote one of my, one of my favorite hymns as a child. Okay. And it went, it says, um, the charge to keep, I have a God to glorify who gave his son, my soul to save and fitted for the sky. Um, do my master's will is my calling to fulfill be it all my powers engaged to do my master's will and it's like it's 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 this long hymn you know and you sing it out and everything but the words the words touch me you know the words say you know a charge to keep a, a charge to keep i have a god to glorify you've been charged because you've been given life. You've been charged because you exist. You've been charged because we're able to, you know, experience love, union with another person, and create life. I mean, we're able to create magic, lightning in a bottle. We're able to bring forth another life that will have purpose and that will affect the world. Miracles that happen around us, that's what charges us with doing the right thing. And and that's the thing that goes back to the whole hero work, Superman complex and everything else. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm a good guy. You know, I don't like bad guys. I don't like bullies. I don't like the abuse of power or things that are less fortunate because, you know, and I don't like the idea of thinking that I am more important than a child of a goat herder in Nepal. You know, why, why is my life any more important? Why should I have something and that person not? Why? Why? So if that's truly the way you, you feel and if you tr- truly feel that, you know, there's no difference and all life is sacred, then you'll live that way. Then if you are that person, when you get to this point, you'll make the right decision. And I haven't always made the right decision. I haven't always been a good man. I haven't always done the right thing. But man, I, you know, I, you know, people say, oh, you're such a good guy. No. And I, I tell them, I said, no, I just try real hard. Right. I just, I just try real hard for those that I care about. I'm, I'm, I'm sure some people in the scumbag, but. <laughs> oh, it's one second. So I'm showing you, this is my uh, ring doorbell. My son is getting dropped off. Hey, Dash, are you there? Yeah. yeah so he's getting dropped off. He's at the front door and there's nobody there to let him in. I got to let him in. Can you give me like. Cool. All good. <laughs> All right. It's a front door cam when it's the, when the doorbell rings. There's a little thing you can buy for your front door. Yeah. And it's just this little thing, module that's in the wall, and it, and you can download the app. And when your doorbell rings or whatever, there's a if you're on the Wi-Fi in your house, it'll you can see it. I love one. Yeah, they're they're all over now. Isn't that amazing? Technology is is advancing rapidly. It's just amazing. So. Um, they have a mindfulness practice with the whole life challenge. Really? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a big thing right now. It's kind of, it's kind of a new trend. Yes. Yeah. Well, man, we've had everything go on in this podcast. Holy cow, this <laughs> is not normal. Um, 
but I, we're, we're, we're definitely, you've, you've over uh, extended your generosity with your time. And I really, really appreciate you being here. Hey, one thing I wanted to mention um, that made me think of the, the mindfulness that you're working on. Uh-huh. I had, um, Michael Gervais on my podcast two or three weeks ago. He's a um, sports psychologist. Hmm. With all these, uh, well, actually Pete Carroll is his partner uh, from the, uh, you, well, you know, Pete, 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 uh-huh. Pete Carroll is. Um, and one of the things he talks about in his mindful training, you know, um, there's something called the default mode network that is a part of your brain that is on when nothing else is going on. And it's focus is on me, 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 everything. Go, like it's this voice that you, if you don't know what voice I'm talking about, it's the voice that's telling you that what the hell is he talking about? That, that voice there's a, there's a constant voice and it's called the default mode network. And he, he talked about in the podcast about how elite performers are able to shut that off when they're in their flow, in their flow state. And that probably is true of an NFL football player or of a guy like Alex Ronald who climbs, you know, without ropes up to half dome um, or El Cap and, and, mindfulness or meditation is normal people's like us uh, access to shutting off that default mode mode network. It's really fascinating. It it gave me a renewed interest in meditation because I've always struggled with keeping a regular mindfulness practice. And because I don't know, doing nothing. I have so many things to do that, that, I have a hard time convincing myself that it's worth it to not do something like not doing is not doing something. It's not doing anything. And like, it's this, you know, battle I have with myself. And so when I, when he taught, when he talked about that, it shifted my thinking, like not the act of not doing is not, not doing your, it's actually practice at, at tapping into this different, mental state where there is no default mode network happening and you are one with your breath. You're one with the current moment. It, I don't know, for some reason that had a huge, that, that shifted something for me in my own meditation um, work. And it's, you know, just for your own consideration, if you're interested, that's a really good podcast to listen to, but you might um, check out his work. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool. That does sound cool. I actually worked with um, a performance enhancement coach mm-hmm. um, um, when I while I played. Actually, um, the person that introduced me to him was Dick Vermeil. And oh, coach, cool. Yeah, Coach Dick Vermeil. Um, when I was a young man, um, you know, he became my coach on my third year. I was playing with the Rams, my third year in the NFL, and he immediately recognized that I could be someone who could be a great player, but my emotional sensitivity got in my way. Yeah, right. Right. Um, that identity, turning on that switch, becoming that, that, that beast or that warrior or whatever, um, being sure of oneself, turning off the voice, turning off the, you know, the default mode voice and being able to just be present and just yeah. concentrate on what you're doing, you know, not worrying about the pain and the finger that I just broke or the, the fact that I just got pancaked or I, I, I jumped off sides, you know, no, be present, be yep. in the moment, 
you know, six seconds at a time, you know, each play, each rep, each snap. Yep. And, um, and it, it, he helped me, you know, find so many different things. But I think now the funny thing is I'm coming into this, this, this mindfulness, I'm being introduced to this mindfulness and it's, it's sort of bits and pieces of what I've, what I learned working with, with Phil, person who thinks Phil, Phil Toll. And, um, and yeah, that, it'll be interesting as, as, as I start this mindful, uh, mindfulness uh, practice uh, where it will lead. But, but I think having that focus and having, you know, at the same, it's like, it's funny. I think we should maintain a balance between not taking ourselves too seriously, but also taking ourselves very seriously. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we, we, we can't think that, you know, what happens to us and it's just the end of the world and we can't dominate everyone else's circumstances with all of our crap. And just, you know, we're just, we're, we're we take so much, there's so much moving when we move and so much affecting, but at the same time, if no one else pays attention to the finite details of your life and making you better, how are you ever going to be your best self? You know, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's, this is, I, I, I tell my son, you know, I'm like, look, dude, you know, you have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself, you know, in order to take care of someone else, in order to be the best leader, to be the best version of yourself, man, you got to be your biggest cheerleader. You got to have healthy thoughts in your head. You got to do. And my message to him is just, you know, put your hands out like this, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, what do you see? And it's like, I see my two fingers. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like there's a little box, right? You're forming a little box. I'm like, you put your hands out, it's lights, camera, action. This is, this is your movie, the movie of your life. What is it? Is it, is it a tragedy? Is it a triumph? Is, is it an action adventure? Is it a drama? You know, what, what kind of a movie is it? And I'm like, that's, you're living your reality. You're living the greatest story that you will ever experience. The greatest movie you'll ever watch is a movie of your life. Your you're experience. writing a script and, and acting it out and being the director. Yeah. You want a reality show? I'm like this is this yeah. is your reality show, man. I'm yeah. like, so you have to regard your circumstances and how you do things as as being important. I'm like, it's okay for you to because he's a really unselfish, giving, soft-hearted kid. He's law like me, and he's you know, and he, he, sometimes he's not as aggressive or he's not as, you know, in he, you know, and I, you, you want your children to be tough. You want them to be able to take care of themselves because, and you want them to have a little edge to them because this world isn't a nice place. So you want them to be, to be able to be comfortable enough in their skin as to where they're nice, sweet, benevolent, nice people, but you want them to have that asshole right in their back pocket, pull out if, if, yep. whenever they need them. So, and so that, that, that to me is talk about mindfulness, keeping that balance between those two things, between those two pieces, parts of yourself, um, and also being effective to those around you, I think is, is, is what I'm trying to do at this point in my life. Well, I, I, whether you think it or not, I mean, the, the impact that you're having on the world, whether it was just with your son, I mean, that to me, it's one of the greatest things. Uh, things we can do as, as, as humans, as dads, even as moms, you know, whatever is to, to raise our kids in a way that lets them go out and be the leaders of tomorrow that, that, um, you know, the legacy that we, that we leave. I, I really am greatly enrolled and inspired by your story. And, um, 
appreciate everything that you're up to because it's it's making a difference. May, you know, maybe maybe the the refrigerator repair guy and the you know dealing with the stuff around the house is is uh, is the struggle. You know, but the the big the big things that you're up to, the commitments that you have toward your own life and your success are really honorable, and I really appreciate you and uh, what you're doing. Thank you. I, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that I think for me at this point in my life is to be able to look in the mirror and, and like the person that I see. Yeah. Um, so sometimes my ego has to be put in check because um, when I see, when I turn on the tube and I see someone else or I see someone broadcasting or I see something or I, I'm like, oh, I can do that or I could be doing this or, you know, and you think it's, it must not be for me. It must not, it's, it's not where my life is taking me right now. And I have to be mindful and I have to be happy and satisfied and I have to be present in my own circumstances in order to do justice and honor to the peace of myself for where life is calling me to be. Right. And that's, that's the hardest thing is to, is to not take myself too seriously as to where I'm like, Man, you know, I, I played 14 years in the NFL. I, I'm, I could do a better job, you know, doing these games on the weekend. But or it's just balance. I, I think the ever growing, never ending challenge of life is is balance and balance between achievement, balance between great good relationships, balance between your own sanity, but also balance for what's superficial, what's substance, and what's what's real. You know, and what's superficial? I think superficiality over substance um, right now is is a big thing right now, and and I I'm 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 proud of myself that I'm able to do what satisfies my soul more than um, what satisfies my my number of followers on Twitter. <laughs> totally, totally. So well, again, uh, you know, like, uh, yeah, I appreciate the time you've given and um, your generosity. And I really appreciate you and uh, what you're doing. Thank you. Hey, it's Andy. And thanks so much for listening. If you want to know more about what I'm learning each month, head over to andypetronic.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. If you were touched, moved or inspired by anything you heard today, chances are someone else you know would be too please take a moment to think about who and send them a link to this episode. And if you're super stoked, please head over to iTunes to read a review. The best way to keep current on guests and episodes is to subscribe so that the latest one will automatically get delivered straight to your phone. The apps I use for this are Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or Pocket Casts. The Andy Petronic Podcast is produced by our team, Winslow Jenkins, Becca Borowski, and Ernie Hurtado. Big thanks to Nikki Grudadaria for the artwork. You can find all of our episodes, links, and complete show notes at wholelifechallenge.com forward slash podcast. I'm Andy Petronic. Thanks for listening.